A rich tradition. College football podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. Robbie Stilton Pole is not here, unfortunately. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Uh, Roberto is out for uh, this episode here for as we get ready for week two games. Uh, Robbo's got a, uh, some obligations there with his, I believe, church. So we are, uh, we'll do a solo episode for you here tonight, and we're pretty excited about that. And so we'll dive right into it. Week one is uh, in the books after Monday, so we'll get started right there on Monday night. It was a 28-7 to win for Duke over Clemson. If I had just told you, or if anybody else had told you, hey, the Duke-Clemson game finished, and it was a 28-7 to score, naturally, we all would have thought Clemson beats Duke 28-7. to Probably a little bit of a splattering there at the end, as a Josh Pate would say. However, it's Duke that hands Clemson the, uh, the shovel over the forehead. And I can tell you, I was unequivocally wrong in this ball game, and I think most uh, mo- most other people were wrong as well. It's interesting on Sunday, you kind of got now that hindsight's twenty twenty. You sort of got a, I don't know, what do you call DJU's big performance for Oregon State, where he lit everything up? What do you call that? Is it, would that be a precursor in some way here? Because now everybody's reacting to this ball game for Clemson as if it's the quarterback isn't the problem. DJU isn't the problem, was never the problem. And we tried to say that, or at least people tried to say that, that the issue isn't DJU. It has a lot to do with receiver. It has a lot to do with all of these other things, the system, whatever else it is. So... Uh, that really became a big talking point on Tuesday if you were following along with sort of the college football conversation around Clemson and this ball game against Duke. Not a great game for Cade Klubnik. 27 of 43 for 209 yards, one touchdown. Will Shipley, pretty solid on the night, 17 carries, 114 yards. That's 6.7 yards a carry. For whatever reason, they didn't really go to the ground game much at all. Phil Moffa also had 11 carries for 65 yards, 5.9 yards a carry. They ran for 200 yards, 5.3 yards per carry as a team. That's even with Cade Klubnick's lost yardage on sacks added in. So just between the two, Shipley and Maffa, you kind of thought, you know, why not continue to run the football some more? 43 pass attempts for Cade Klubnik trying to get this offense going. Only one pass, it looks like, goes over 20 yards to Tyler Brown, a 21-yard reception, 18-yard reception for Antonio Williams, who they target targeted 11 times. Again, you're having a hard time stretching the field. 
These are things that are really sending off red flags around the college football world for Clemson. And I can tell you I was dead wrong. I thought Garrett Riley would help unlock things. But if the talent at wide receiver is not quite what it needs to be, that kind of thing can become difficult. Dabo Sweeney's also catching a lot of flack this week because he won't jump into or has refused to jump into the transfer portal and utilize that position. Of course, on Sunday night, you saw FSU dominate LSU with two transfer pass catchers in Keon Coleman, who lit up for three touchdowns, and then Jaheim Bell, who had a touchdown catch and run, as well as a rushing touchdown on the night. So, you know, just in that ball game, a dominant fashion, it kind of shines a little bit. It's also in the ACC, so it, it sticks out that much more that here's FSU surging straight past, just in week one, surging straight past Clemson, and they're doing it with a lot of transfers over the last couple of years, which, of course, last year helps slingshot, shake and bake, thank you very much, uh, slingshot the Florida State Seminoles into the position that they're in. Using that transfer portal. And then, of course, obviously seeing what uh, USC did with the portal and seeing what so many other programs, even places like Georgia and Alabama, have used it at least a little bit to add a player here or there, making little adjustments, adding in, filling holes. Dabo's been very adamant that that's just not what he wants to do. He's caught a lot of flack for it before. It's starting to show up on the field in certain ways. And he's uh, catching more flack for it now. Kudos to Duke. Flipping the script here for just a second. Uh, Riley Leonard wasn't all that in a bag of potato chips through the air. Just 17 of 33, 175. Not a lot to write home about. But this was a... A Duke team that found their way on the ground, three rushing touchdowns, 199 net yards, 98 for Leonard. There is the big uh, highlight of him on a on a on a long touchdown run as well. They had long runs of 44 and 36 in the ball game, as well as a 21 yard run for Jaquez Moore. So a great day for uh, Riley on the ground. Riley Leonard just rushing attack for. Uh, Duke and and I think you got to give credit to Duke as well through the air. They 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 had to go up against forty three passing attempts and held their own. Only two hundred and nine yards for Klubnik on the night. They also did a really good job. I was kind of trying to re- figure out how I wanted to talk about the three stops that they got in the red zone. Is that a Clemson thing? Is that a Duke thing? We're going to pin it on Duke. We're going to talk about it like it's a good thing for Duke. Um, we can circle back to Clemson, but ultimately you take this offense for Cade Klubnick and, and Clemson and it gets down into the red area, it has scoring opportunities and they don't come away with anything all three times. Certainly some of that's on Duke or uh, some of that's on Clemson, but you give uh, uh, plenty of credit to Duke as well for uh, getting those stops. On the Clemson side of that, is that where you 
if you're trying to find your silver lining, and I can be a silver lining kind of person from time to time, if you're trying to find the silver lining and say to yourself, is there something, if the offense is moving between the 20s and you're trying to figure out how to make it work inside that red area, that's at least you're at least moving the football and you're getting into scoring position. You've, you've, you've made one step closer to getting into scoring position. Um, can you get it figured out when you get into the red area? You got to imagine that should work, look and work better going forward for Clemson, fixing those things. Garrett Riley making the adjustment adjustments when it comes to that area, figuring out the run game in that area as well, how to maximize those opportunities. You got to imagine that's something that Garrett Riley can fill out, uh, figure out Will Shipley, Phil Moffa uh, should be guys that you got to get creative with. If the receivers aren't there, aren't there, then you got to get create creative with uh, with Shipley and Moffa as well as Cade Klubnik, who I don't think is any slouch when it comes to you know at least running north and south and give him some options or something. I don't know. Thinking outside the box right now because Clemson needs any little bit of help that they can get. All right, so that's uh, Duke beating Clemson. And, of course, that FSU-Clemson matchup looking that much more interesting coming up, but lopsided for uh, the Seminoles. All right, so week two is a very interesting uh, week, just sort of starting to take a look at uh, a lot of the games that are coming up this weekend. Um, You got several very uh, interesting things happening uh, all around college football. Tennessee at Austin P. I know that that's not a overwhelming matchup, but keep an eye on Joe Milton from week one to week two. He wasn't overwhelming against Virginia. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't overwhelming in the game against Virginia. The stats didn't look like Hendon Hooker-like stats. Again, Hooker's his player, and, and Milton's going to be his player, and they could be two different kinds of effective. All that's fair. But just keep an eye out. Our biggest criticism, my biggest criticism, was week to week to week to week to week, game after game after game after game. Who's Joe Milton going to be? So just keeping an eye on that ball game. Uh, Georgia at Ball State, or Ball State at Georgia, I'm sorry. Do they figure some things out? Does the offense have a better first half in that ball game? Let's certainly, uh, if you're a Dogs fan, let's certainly hope. Uh, that that is going to be uh, the case. We'll start with the uh, sort of the bigger discussions, and we'll circle back to sort of the more uh, rapid-fire stuff. Ole Miss at Tulane is one of the big games from the weekend and or for the upcoming weekend, and it's one of the ones that I had a couple of notes for uh, that I wanted to pass along. So Tulane and Ole Miss. Tulane's been a program that has been building themselves up there over in uh, the state of Louisiana over the last few years. Willie Fritz is the head coach. Georgia Tech almost yanked him away, uh, what was it, a year or two ago when they had a, a coaching 
opportunity or just this past go around, I guess it was, as they were trying to fill the role uh, vacant for uh, vacant by Jeff Collins. But either way, Willie Fritz is still down there. You still got your quarterback over there in uh, in Michael Pratt. Michael Pratt and Jackson Dart, the two quarterbacks in this ballgame, both posted on uh, Pro Football Focus two really good quarterback grades, 93.1 for Jackson Dart and a 98.0 for Michael Pratt. And that not only led all quarterbacks in the country for that week, but it was the second highest game mark since Pro Football Focus began charting college football in 2000 football, uh, 2004. Wow. Uh, bested only by Jalen Hurts' 98.6 grade against West Virginia in 2019. Certain things about this game, Jackson Dart and Michael Pratt going against each other, has some fireworks elements to it, uh, obviously. One of the key things is going to be Quinn Sean Junkins, who wasn't super great against Mercer, had 13 carries, 60 yards, and two touchdowns. Plenty of people would have expected a lot more against Mercer. I think if you're if you're Tulane, your biggest key in this ball game, load up, stop Junkins, make Jackson Dart do it again. A 91.3, do it again. Force him to beat you through the air. Because we talked about last year, the big thing for Ole Miss was getting a little bit more pop through the air. So if you're Tulane, make Jackson Dart beat you through the air. That's not necessarily to say Jackson Dart can't do it, but I think if you're Tulane, you say, we're going to make you do it. Because we've seen week after week after week, Quinshawn Junkins be really, really good for Ole Miss. We've not necessarily seen Jackson Dart carry that offense just yet the way you might need to to win a game like Tulane, and we've certainly not seen him carry that offense the way the former quarterback uh, did it. Uh, well, what What is the kid? Matt Corral. The way he was able to change the game and do things with his arms and legs um, or arm and legs. You didn't, you saw Corral's ability to carry the offense week in and week out. Can Jackson Dart do that? I think Tulane will certainly be gearing up to try to do that. And if Jackson Dart starts to find some success here and there, Quinshawn, Quinshawn Junkins could be looking at another really big ball game in, uh, in this contest. All right, also on the list, getting to the other big games of discussion, Texas A&M at Miami. Obviously, uh, two teams that went 5-7 and seven last year, trying to improve their standing. Obviously, the hot seat, the stove is a little more turned up on Texas A&M at this point. Connor Wegman had an incredible uh, week one, 52 to 10 victory, a 91.9 grade on pro football focus for him. Again, those five touchdowns, and he really delivered in that contest. Miami's defense not only played well in their opening game against Miami 
of Ohio, but they're coming into the season with one of the best safety duos in the country. Um, Kinchins and James Williams. Cameron Kinchins and uh, James Williams are two really good safeties. They also have uh, a defensive front that can really create pressure. Uh, Leonard Taylor III is a guy that's going to be a potential top 15 pick in the NFL. So could be a lot of fun watching what Miami's defense has to offer against what is expected to be a very uh, explosive, maybe you get the rust, you work some of the things out uh, in that game against New Mexico for Texas A&M. If Connor Wegman and this offense can get going again, if they can roll into this ball game and get going, it could be really fun to watch the chess match back and forth between the offense and the pass defense for Miami. And even more so, that front could be really important here as uh, getting pressure on the young quarterback could prove to be key. Another important thing in this ballgame, Miami's new look offensive line. I think they ran uh, last week against Miami of Ohio and averaged something like nine yards a carry, something crazy like that. Whatever that number was, the young new look offensive line for Miami is going to be in a position here or at least, yeah, they're going to be in a position here because Texas A&M's defense last year, if uh, Aggie fans remember, did not always have a great time stopping the run, especially, I think, there towards the end of the year. So could this new-look offensive line carry the carry the ball game for Miami and the running opportunities and give, pass, uh, give good pass protection to Tyler Van Dyke? If you can hold on to the football a little bit, control the game, use the new clock to your advantage, maybe that could be something that Miami could do in this ballgame, control the pace a little bit. If things want to be hurried by Miami's offense, if they want to try to get into a shootout, perhaps if you're Miami and that offensive line can get going and get the push that they want, maybe they can control things uh, in that ball game. So I think it's going to be interesting. Texas A&M and Miami, they played a close one last year, albeit maybe an ugly one. Look for maybe a crisper game here where it's closer, but both teams are, are at, it's closer because they're playing well. It's not closer because everybody seems to be making mistakes uh, left and right. All right. So the Texas Longhorns and the Alabama Crimson Tide, one of the uh, most anticipated non-conference rematches from last year to this year. Another game where maybe things got ugly and it was close because things got ugly, missed opportunities, whatever they were for uh, for each team. Of course, all eyes are going to be on Alabama's offense. Jalen Milrow, who did deliver, according to Pro Football Focus, giving those guys a lot of shout-outs tonight. They're not a sponsor. 92.3. Uh, overall grade for Milrow. And we talked about, you know, it was only like 13 of 18, but it was 198 yards. It was plenty of touchdowns. And he and he had some rushing success in the ball game as well. Texas over uh, Middle Tennessee, was it? Two different kind, caliber of opponents there, obviously, for uh, for Alabama. If you end up, if Texas can make this a shootout, that is what they want this to be. 
if Quinn Ewers is the thing that closes the gap from last year to this year, of course, you remember Quinn Ewers getting hurt early in the ball game against Alabama last season. If that's the difference here, then Texas could be putting themselves in a position to have a big advantage because can Milrow throw the football? Is this offense ready to sling the ball around a little bit and have themselves an old-fashioned shootout? Jalen Milrow and this receiver group doesn't pop off the page quite like years past for Alabama. So you definitely feel like if uh, Texas fans feel like if we can make this a shootout, if we can get the ball going and get some scoring done early and maybe put some pressure on that offense, maybe we can make something happen on that front and get the sort of wins that we want or the sort of uh, ball game that we want, the pace that we want. I think if you're Alabama and you've been doing all of this work to try to be this you know, old school offense or at least have an old school mentality and be a little bit more willing to lean on your ground game, I think you're not going to run away from that in week two. Your offensive coordinator is a guy who has sort of cut his teeth on that kind of offense. Run first and work off of that. I don't think you're getting away from that. Alabama's probably going to be looking to control the tempo of this ball game. Get it slow. Use uh, Jalen Milrow as both a, a running option and a throwing option, and create you know lanes that are easy. If you remember last year, Florida and Utah, and there were a lot of rollouts for Anthony Richardson. I'm wondering if that could become a a focus of this game in any way. You roll him out, you give him easy stuff to throw 10 yards down the field. I wonder if there's an opportunity there uh, for Alabama to get him comfortable that way. Do not ignore the firepower that Texas A&M, or excuse me, Texas, uh, offers to uh, this ballgame. A.D. Mitchell is there. Uh, so many other big flight, big uh, top flight wide receivers are there at Texas that can give them the opportunity to really turn this into their kind of game. And that might be how things are leaning here. It's going to be very important to see how Alabama answers whatever Texas A&M is, or Texas, excuse me, is able to get going. Excuse me on the too many A&Ms there. All right, one last uh, game to keep in sort of a, a bigger discussion type area. Uh, Nebraska and Colorado. Very impressive play last week for uh, Texas or uh, for Colorado, excuse me. Not so impressive game for Nebraska, which really feels like that's where things are going to hinge at this point is quarterback play. Shadir uh, Sanders was really, really good for Colorado. We all heard about it. 500 yards, one of the best performances in uh, in a single game for Colorado school history. Jeff Sims, not very good. Three picks last week against Minnesota, including a red zone interception in that ball game that came on the six-yard line. So if Jeff Sims doesn't make some major jumps in the right direction for Nebraska from week one to week two, this one could get, potentially, it could get ugly. 
Another thing to keep an eye on, and this might not be something that shows up in this ball game, although it could. Colorado played a shootout up and down the field. Um, Travis Hunter, the sort of the, the big name on the field for this team outside of Sanders at quarterback, played 144 snaps in that ball game last week. 100 degree heat, 80 at corner, 64 at wide receiver, and was great. I mean, he went all over, he went all out, 11 passes caught, 119 yards, and uh, he had three forced uh, incompletions on defense and secured that uh, interception in the red zone, you know, on the, on the wheel route that everybody loved as he sort of played back at the line of scrimmage and then made the hop on the on the interception. At some point, you feel like something like that's going to catch up to this guy. Now, does it do it from week one to week two? Just conventional wisdom would say you're going to get tired at some point. So does it catch up now? I'm sure they've been conditioning him for this kind of work. Who is he in this game against Nebraska? Do they play him differently? Do they try to save him a little bit? Whatever that looks like. I know Deion Sanders would roll his eyes at me right now and slap me across the face and say, you don't even know what you're talking about. This kid's good to go. And he probably is. Watch him go and play another 144 snaps and you know dominate the game again because he's going to be the Shohei Otani of college football. Great. I'd love to see it. But conventional wisdom says, this kid's is he going to be able to affect the game like that every single week? Again, this might be something that shows up later in the year, not in week two, but to do 144 snaps in back-to-back weeks, that could be something uh, to keep an eye on. Even with that in mind, and we can go ahead and start making picks now as we'll get to uh, as we'll get to to wrapping, we'll get to that aspect of the of the show here as we're moving along quite quickly uh, without Roberto. We're so sad not to have him. So we're moving quickly to get to the next show where we do have him back. I I think because of the way Colorado's offense played, and certainly they played against a TCU team that gave up plenty of points in the national championship game, had other games where they gave up plenty of points, found themselves down in other games, I think Colorado's got enough offense, and Jeff Sims, at least at this point, proved to be very disappointing in that opening game for Nebraska. Maybe that doesn't hold. I kind of don't want it to hold because I've always liked Jeff Sims, and I thought his time at Georgia Tech, maybe they didn't quite utilize him, didn't quite get as much out of him as they should have, which is the case for a lot of athletes under Jeff Collins there at Georgia Tech. So I'm hoping Jeff Sims can bounce back. But if this if this is going to be kind of an ugly flip for Matt Rule and Nebraska, and the Colorado flip is going to be really exciting and and a lot of real a lot of really good competition, and they're going to be kind of working on it right away. Feels like Colorado is the pick in uh, in this ball game. Texas and Alabama. Uh, Robbie also likes Colorado 
for the win here, but he's not overly confident. Obviously, Nebraska is more than just their quarterback uh, and Jeff Sims. They played good on defense in that game against Minnesota. How does Colorado react to what should be a much different kind of defense that they're going to face? But either way, Rob likes Colorado. I like Colorado as well. Texas and Alabama, Rob likes Texas in this game. Probably just too much firepower on offense for Texas and there's still too many question marks on that standpoint for Alabama. That's where I can only imagine he's going with that, uh, according to some of the conversations that we certainly had right here on the podcast during the season. The thing, though, that is interesting to to consider: what about Alabama's defense? You know, you got to think to yourself if you're if you're practicing more physical on offense, then you're ready for that defensively. What if they come out and hit Texas in the mouth in in sort of a certain way uh, from a defensive standpoint? What does that do to Quinn Ewers? Because uh, he's not necessarily set the world on fire before in, in his young career there at Texas, uh, especially in a game like this. He's not done that. Has he had that opportunity every time? Maybe not. He, I, I know he played well against Oklahoma. I don't know. This could be a different animal. Does Alabama's defense do anything different here? to sort of close the gap and and create the kind of game that maybe Alabama wants. I'm going just for the interest of keeping this, because me and Rob can sometimes get on the same page with our picks and pick the same thing over and over again. It doesn't seem to bother Robbie. Love him to death. But sometimes it kind of gets to me that we pick the same stuff all over and over again. I don't want to pick it just to be different, but at the same time, kind of do. And I kind of like Alabama a lot more than a lot of other people do. And I think Saban figures things out. And I don't think we always see that he's figuring things out. And I think I'll pick Alabama. Are they going to be able to do it just running the football 40 times? No, I don't think they're going to. I know. I think Saban knows we can't do it running it 40 times. Milrow's going to have to step up and make throws through the air. He's going to have to. Remember, Stetson Bennett, 20 and a half attempts per game in that first national championship run for the Dogs. If Milrow throws it another 18 times for another 193 yards and three touchdowns, that could be enough for a win could be enough, especially if they're doing everything they they want to do on the ground. That's, I think, an important thing to keep in mind. Texas A&M at Miami. Rob's got A&M in this ballgame. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take Miami. I think Miami with the offensive line, they're going to step up here, make this happen. I don't know if one game against New Mexico completely solves all the issues or rights all the wrongs or answers all the questions to the offensive things that Texas A&M's been dealing with. Although, if you have questions on, on your offense and you can have Connor Wegman and some of the other talented receivers that Texas A&M does, that makes answering those questions easier. So I can understand why Rob would go A&M. 
I'll take Miami's offensive line. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet a little bit here that that offensive line and and its retooling gets things going, pushes the ball down the field. Tyler Van Dyke's no slouch himself, throwing the football through the air. So give me uh, Miami in this ball game. So let me get something typed out here. I know this is great podcasting for you uh, here in the evening. But we're going to do it anyway. Thank you so much for uh, watching and listening to the program. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to uh, to the program here. We appreciate our friends over at uh, Dog Central as well for helping us out. All right, a couple of other interesting games. We did already note two of those other interesting games before we got started here. Uh, we did talk about Tulane and. Ole Miss, and I believe Rob likes Ole Miss to win this ball game. I think I'm going to go in the same direction as Rob here. Ole Miss to win this ball game as well. Uh, e and this could be one of the other sneaky good games from the weekend. All right, so number ten Notre Dame at North Carolina State. Sam Hartman back in the ACC. Rob likes Notre Dame and Hartman to win. I was reading some stuff earlier today. Hartman has played against North Carolina State three times while at Wake Forest. Had six touchdowns and six interceptions. So NC State has always had a little bit of the number, would you say, for uh, for one, Sam Hartman. So could be interesting to see uh, how this ball game plays out. I would think in this game, though, Sam Hartman is playing with a different supporting cast, and that's kind of the deal at Notre Dame for him right now, correct? You're playing with a different supporting cast where maybe at Wake Forest, everything was was on Sam Hartman's shoulders. And while he could carry that load for the most part, you like for there to be games where somebody else picks up the slack if Hartman's having a bad game. Even if it's just that one time, you hope that everybody else can help out. Well, if Sam Hartman has a bad game here, you feel like Notre Dame's supporting cast should be able to help pick up the slack. So I'm going to go uh, Notre Dame here as well for uh, this ball game against NC State. Uh, coming up on Saturday. Iowa State, uh, Iowa at Iowa State. Always feels like it's good to pick uh, the big corn-fed ball game there in Iowa. Always a fun matchup early in the season, one of those rivalry games early on. It's hard to pick against Iowa's defense. It's hard to pick against that unit. They've been so solid for so long. I don't know if they're going to do their 25 points a game thing that uh, that I know some people are tracking along with, especially the fans there uh, in Iowa. Part of me thinks there's a large contingency of them that hope they don't do the 25 per game, thinking, uh, yeah, we want to get this offensive coordinator out of here. But you also think, Hey, you know, if we can get 25 points a game the way our defense plays, that might be enough. That might be what we need uh, to get those wins. But either way, I like Iowa uh, in this ballgame. Oklahoma, number 18, Oklahoma hosting SMU. I like Oklahoma in this ballgame here as well. Oregon at 
at Texas Tech should be another fun one for the weekend. And I will take uh, Oregon as well, along with uh, Robbo, as he likes the Ducks here. It's kind of hard not to pick the Ducks, especially after Texas Tech kind of face-planted a little bit last week. However, that could be the right thing to get you to bounce back and get on the right track. I don't expect Texas Tech to just go away. They didn't play as as well as they wanted to in week one. Obviously, that's disappointing for the Red Raiders, but I expect them to bounce back. This could be a sneaky good game from the weekend that maybe some people overlook because Oregon went and scored 80 in week one, and then Texas Tech fell flat on their face. All right, uh, another quick game to pick here uh, just to keep us going. Oklahoma State at... Arizona State. Uh, Jalen Rashada is at Arizona State, and he's kind of lighting things up a little bit over there, throwing the ball down the field. Oklahoma State uh, in college football has kind of always been known for their offense. They've been a little bit more defensive-oriented here over the last uh, you know handful of seasons. They've played for the Big 12 championship. Give me uh give me ASU in this ball game. I like uh Arizona State perhaps here to get a maybe an upset win over Oklahoma State. Arizona State has had a lot of uh growing pains here as of late with uh letting go of their head coach oh, uh, Herm Edwards and all of the stuff that went on there. But I'm going to step out on a limb there with uh, with Arizona State. Number 19, Wisconsin at Washington State. Could be a really interesting ball game. Wisconsin's always been sort of ground and pound. Washington State's kind of opened things up, throwing the ball around. Not quite air raid like under Mike Leach, but it's a little bit more of a balanced thing, but still throwing the football with, uh, with Cam Ward as the quarterback over there. This could be a fun quarterback matchup. Cam Ward and uh, Tanner Mordecai in this ball game. Give me uh, number nine, Wisconsin, to uh, to win that ball game. All right, and then uh, Boise State, uh, UCF at Boise State. I like uh, Boise here, or no, uh, UCF in this ball game. I'm not trusting right now the Boise State quarterback uh, to figure things out through uh, through the air. Uh, Rob's got a note for Auburn at California. To uh, thinks that this one could possibly be one of the top games of the weekend as well. Cal maybe going to be a little bit better than expected. Auburn's been a lot of fun. It feels like they're in a mode similar to what Colorado is in, where hey, they they made some transfer additions. They've got an excitement. They're really ready under this new coach to make up some ground and believe in themselves and kind of you know play with that edge, that energy. I'm thinking of Sam Pittman at Arkansas in 2020. That group was playing with their hair on fire. And that's kind of what I'm thinking here for Auburn, similar to what you can consider there for Colorado. I like Auburn to win this game against uh, California. Rob thinks Auburn would win as well and likes for uh, Cal maybe uh, to make things interesting. All right, and then the last ball game of the evening, Samford. At Washington State. Excuse me. Samford at uh, Western Carolina. I don't know how I read Washington State there. But Samford at Western Carolina. The only reason it's on this list 
both head coaches uh, in this ball game, Chris Hatcher at Samford, Kerwin Bell at Western Carolina, both used to coach at Valdosta State University, where me and Rob uh, both attended, and I just got done helping uh, the football program for the last eight years doing uh, play-by-play for them. So uh, very excited, was on, was a part of the 2018 undefeated national championship team for uh, for VSU as the play-by-play guy, my very first year doing play-by-play. How about that? Your first year, go off and win all 14 games and the national championship in a thriller of a championship game there uh, in, oh, goodness, right in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, McKinney, Texas, McKinney IMG Stadium, IMD Stadium, whatever it's called. Uh, really incredible a concrete high school stadium there in Texas that we played our national championship game in. And it was a awesome ball game. Kerwin Bell and, and his offense is really fun, high flying. It's a little bit more of a balanced offense. But uh, what Sanford does is uh, Chris Hatcher is an original air raid guy. When Hatcher played football at VSU in the 90s, his head coach was Hal Mummy and his offensive coordinator was Mike Leach. And he won the Harlan Hill, which is the Division II equivalent to the um, uh, to the Heisman Trophy. So Chris Hatcher, obviously tons of success uh, at Valdosta State as both a player and a head coach. I think if you were to put together a VSU Mount Rushmore, Chris Hatcher's name uh, for, for the athletic department just overall, I think Chris Hatcher's name would definitely have to be one of those faces that you would uh, that you'd put up there. His success on the field and as a head coach, helping to win uh, the the program's first national championship, and then kind of handing over the program for its second national championship under head coach uh, David uh, David Dean. Either way, Samford at Western Carolina at the FCS level should be a lot of fun. Two former VSU head coaches. Too bad somebody has to lose that ball game. But uh, Sanford did play in the national championship for FCS last year, and uh, Western Carolina played against uh, Arkansas this past week. And uh, and as you can imagine, an FCS team against an FBS team, it wasn't pretty. Rob likes Sanford to win the ball game. I think I'll take Sanford as well. Hatcher and his bunch were in the national championship game last year, so we'll go with that one for. Uh, a battle of former VSU head football coaches. All right, so that's going to do it for us. I'm going to actually take a look real quick and make sure I'm not lo- uh, missing any other ball games for the weekend. And uh, just taking a note here, um, make sure we're not missing anything else from week one. All around college football. Not a lot of Thursday night stuff this week. All right, so uh, Georgia will be hosting Ball State like we mentioned. Ohio State hosting Youngstown State. I'm sure Buckeye fans will be interested to see their offense maybe get going a little bit more. Lots to be made about Georgia's offense not getting going. I don't think Ohio State got going quite like they would want to. They did face Indiana in week one, so that was at least uh, a conference game there. Number 12, Utah at Baylor. Obviously, after week one, Baylor's kind of off the radar after losing to Texas Tech and having a bad year last year. Keep an eye there. That one could be something uh, interesting. Uh, Potentially, there could be some things uh, interesting there. Purdue at Virginia Tech. 
Uh, looking down the list here, number 25, Clemson will be hosting uh, Charleston Southern. Looking at also Eastern uh, East Carolina hosting Marshall. Number eight, Washington hosting Tulsa. Uh, we mentioned Tennessee and Austin P. Keeping an eye on Joe Milton in week one. What about uh, North Carolina? Number seventeen, North Carolina hosting App State, Appalachian State. These two had uh, a pretty big ball game last year, if we remember correctly. That could be a game. North Carolina defense is this a game where they can put two defensive performances in a row? That first one against South Carolina, sacking the quarterback five, six, seven, eight times something. And uh, what can they do against App State? Interesting encore for North Carolina to get the season started. All right, looking down the rest of the list, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Uh, eh, I don't know. That one could be interesting. You're also looking at... I don't know. I think with that, that we might be done there. Just taking one last quick look here. And I don't think we have anything else. Number six, USC and Stanford. Yeah, maybe. They're, may, probably not. That one, I'm stretching it there. Uh, speaking of USC, before we get out of here, Caleb Williams had some interesting things, or at least his dad had some interesting things to say to GQ magazine this week. Lots of people taking that story, that conversation in a lot of different directions. But essentially, the idea was brought up that if Caleb Williams doesn't like the number one team uh, in the NFL draft or the team with the number one pick in the NFL draft next year, if he doesn't like that team, that, oh, well, maybe we may go back to college for another year. And, of course, people laugh at that because, yeah, you might be making good money these days in college football because, you know, that sort of thing is legal now. But NFL money is NFL money. I mean, come on. And it's the NFL. I mean, come on. You want to go cut your teeth up there. You don't want to risk playing at the college football level. There's so many different other things that say, just take your butt to the NFL, dude. It's the dream. You have it. It's right there. You're potentially going to be the first overall pick, maybe the second overall pick. And who? Where? Where does it? Does it really matter where you get picked? I mean, ultimately, yes, you want to go to the right place, but does it matter what spot you get picked at? In my opinion, to some degree, to me, I never. Yes, you want to be the number one overall guy. I, I don't know. I don't have that mindset. That's not where my mind goes. I don't. I'm not in their position. I've never been in their position. From an athlete standpoint, I'm not that guy. But just the idea of, oh, I'm not going to go to college or I'm not going to go straight to the NFL. I wonder, and I'm sure somebody will be tracking this, but I'm in, I am interested to know how many juniors come back for their senior season. When I was getting, even when I was getting ready for conversation this past uh, offseason for our shows, it felt like there were a lot of write-ups that I was reading that mentioned this program got lucky that this guy forewent for the NFL and decided to come back. Felt like I read that a lot for a lot of teams. Is that going to mean 
that you've got a lot more of these situations throughout college football because you can make money in college football now and it's perfectly legal and you don't have to worry about getting caught and you don't have to worry about getting in trouble. It's perfectly legal now. More people decide, hey, I'll stay. I'll see if I can't improve my draft status. I'll stay. I'll continue to make the money and I'll see if I can improve my draft status. Potentially, now I don't necessarily have to go to the NFL to help mom and dad or grandma or whoever it is. I'm getting some money now and I'm helping them now. Maybe I can improve my draft status. I wonder if Caleb Williams, it sounds wild for it to be Caleb Williams because, again, you're a your potential number one pick. Drake May is also in that conversation and is expected to be in that conversation by the end of the year. But just the idea of hey, I may not go to the NFL. I may forego because, hey, NIL has now made this a possibility. I think it's made it a possibility for everybody, and you're going to see it more for those, you know, those sixth and fifth round guys. And you're probably not going to see it at the tip top because that tip top money is still, that's probably going to be better than what you're getting in college football. Even even a guy like Caleb Williams, who is probably getting good money in, in college football. And who's to say, if you're Caleb Williams, you can take your college money with you and go combine it with the NFL money. So again, it sort of sounds silly to say, well, if we don't like the team, then we're not going. If Joe Burrow can take Cincinnati to the Super Bowl, if Trevor Lawrence is you know a comeback win against the Chargers uh, there in the playoffs, uh, you know, if if some of the people throughout football have been able to be and been able to elevate and be successful and such, you can go to any of these franchises, guy. If if you're that good, then you can go, and it won't matter what team you're on because you're that good. There are a lot of other factors in play. Trevor Lawrence, obviously, in his first year there at Jacksonville, ran into, um. <laughs> ran into a terrible head coaching situation, but we've seen how that's panned itself out, uh, you know, since then. So from that standpoint, maybe there's something else to grasp on to for Caleb Williams, or at least grasp on to for this argument. Cause I don't know if Caleb Williams is actually going to go through with it, but for that argument to stick around in college football, maybe there are a couple of things, but NIL money is making this a conversation. Now they're making it a conversation. Albeit it might sound like a silly one, I know plenty of NFL national media people are laughing their heads off thinking, Caleb Williams, you sound like a dummy. But it's at least a conversation now because of NIL. Okay, that will do it for uh, us. Again, um, we'll hand things off to, uh, to week two, get the action going on Saturday, looking forward to it. Plenty of uh, really good games and several sort of uh, uh, sub things to watch in week two. Should be uh, a whole lot of fun. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to Friends One Love, and that is college football. We'll see Robbie back here again next go around. We'll be very excited to have him back as we react to week two. We'll catch you on the flip flop later. Later.